Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about biotechnology and how it can be used to help people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulton. Today we're going to talk about a unique solution to the problem of animal feeds. And I have with me today Sam Glickstein. Uh, he's the founder of Biotrophics in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thanks, Kevin. Love love to have to be on here, man. It's great. Now, it's really cool to have you, and I think the audience will appreciate this episode because it really uses innovative techniques and innovative ideas to solve an important problem that really is an issue in sustainability. So what is the problem that you saw that you sought to solve? Sure. So I actually started off being interested in aquaculture and I saw that the feed costs were actually the highest of pretty much any farming operation. Not to say that all farming operations are uh, cheap on feed. In fact, it's mostly the highest feed, the highest cost uh, in any farming operation is feed. So I just started looking into why that was specifically for aquaculture and quickly realized uh, or rather stumbled upon the problem that is fish meal. So specifically, we're looking at the trends from the 90s, especially where fish meal started getting really exploited. And you see a huge price spike between then and now because we've just overfished uh, so many of our fisheries. So what's the problem with fish meal? Is fish meal just the stuff that's made after they make fillets and fish processing? Or or is it really um, something that is specifically fished for the purpose of turning into meal? Kind of both. Fish meal is a byproduct of all the waste from the seafood industry. So fish heads, you know, all that kind of stuff can get processed. That's only a smaller portion of it, though. A lot of it will come from the oceans. So you're looking at the, the quote, trash fish species, which I don't like that term just because no fish is really trash, right? They're all pretty vital to the ecosystem, but you're looking at menhaden, um, certain, I think certain sardines, uh, but like small fish that are kind of keystone species are, are fish specifically for use as fish meal. And, and where do we find it in industry? Is it being used in animal feeds like, or just on fish farms or is this showing up in other places? It's pretty ubiquitous. You'll, you'll see it in mainly in aqua feeds, but there is inclusion of fish meal in everything from pet food, poultry, swine, all that kind of, all those industries. And also, believe it or not, the cosmetics industry will use um, collagen derived from fish meal protein. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Surprise. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it's, uh, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Menhaden. 
you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other big question, though, is why is it a problem with sustainability? I mean, if these are just the little fish, you know, menhaden and sardines, aren't these things pretty prolific in, you know, rebuilding their populations? Or what's happening ecologically that gives us a hint that this isn't the best way to go? Yeah, you, you'd think, but the rate at which we're catching these fish is, I mean, it's it's astounding. 90% of our fisheries are either overfished or at capacity, and only 10% are either recovering or, you know, I guess underfished, which I, I wouldn't even go that far. So it's it's not even a question of how prolific they are. It's just a question of the rate at which we fish them, which is it's capped, but, you know, there's a lot of illicit fishing going on as well. Yeah, well, you're also taking the fish off the kind of the lower end of the trophic levels, right? I mean, you're actually taking these species out, which really do lend themselves to the food source to larger and larger um, fish, right? Are we really doing something by disrupting the smaller fish? Well, absolutely. And I would argue that actually, that has a larger impact because, you know, as, as you know, the further down you go, the more uh, cascade effect it has going up. So, you know, taking out these fish, you, you know, you're actually hurting this, the other species that we fish that may actually rely upon those populations. Okay, so you, the really important problem that we're using too many of these important smaller fish to generate feed, to feed to larger fish on farmed operations, and also making its ways into uh, other animal feeds and into lipstick. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, so what is your solution to solving the problem? So I was, you know, into aquaculture, and I wanted to see how to start an operation, and the feed cost was so high, and I was like, man, this there's got to be something around this, you know? And I did some research on what kind of alternatives there were. And, you know, the big one is obviously plant proteins, but it turns out, especially the high quality fish just can't metabolize it well. And it wreaks havoc on uh, recirculating aquaculture system filters because they essentially get, you know, fish diarrhea for lack of a better term. And I stumbled upon insects actually as the, I guess the, the best solution in my eyes. And Really what I wanted to do was grow some insects just to feed to a small aquaculture system I was going to experiment with, but I quickly realized that this could be a, a business on its own. So in uh, late 2016, I seriously started doing con uh, research and considering it, and, and here we are. Well, what kind of insects are the ones that are most amenable towards use in animal feed? The most, so the, the insect industry is divided in two. You have the insects for human food, which I don't play in uh, just because the market's tiny. But for animal feed, you have two main species that are really considered. There's the black soldier fly larvae, which is, uh, it's a coleropterous, um, excuse me, it's a um, wasp species. So it's a, uh, I forgot the scientific name, but uh, you use the larvae. For those, or you can use the yellow mealworm or some kind of mealworm, which is uh, a beetle species, and that's the larvae of the beetle species. They both have really strong amino acid profiles and also are colony insects, so they're 
they make sense nutritionally, but they also make sense on an industrial production level. Ooh, can we dig in on that a little bit? So what does industrial production look like? I mean, do you have um, like a <laughs> like rooms full of mealworms or uh, how do you how do you do it? Sure. So m- my own facility is small. Uh, it's just a research facility. But for actual industrial production levels, you're looking at tons and tons of insect meal. And that's just not the insects, but insect meal per day. And so you can imagine that one insect is about between one third to 40% dry matter. So extrapolate that out and you're looking at that many insects produced per day. Uh, it's probably hundreds of thousands of square feet of warehouse space. Well, yeah, that, but that's when you start thinking about this, it, it kind of amazes me because I used to raise things for uh, ice fishing and like, you know, those kinds of insect larvae because it was, you know, same kind of thing, mealworms. But mm-hmm. how, what do they eat and how do you, because you see the problem you have here. Now you have to feed the food. And so how do you feed uh, a warehouse of mealworm larvae? Yeah, great question. Uh, trash is really the, the simple answer there. Any kind of waste product is the key. So just going back to human food for just a second, crickets are mainly used for that. And they actually have a really good amino acid profile, but the reason you wouldn't really use them for animal feed is because their inputs just cost way too much. They require fresh food pretty much in a lot of cases. So instead of you know taking that away from the human food chain, uh, we can switch to the mealworm and the black soldier fly, which really eat waste products. So black soldier fly in this case has an advantage because they can eat everything from rotting meat and, you know, animal renderings to your, uh, you know, your, your kitchen garbage pretty much. And mealworms, they tend to prefer dry kind of waste plant matter, specifically in the cereals. So wheat bran is a big one. And actually, we've partnered with a couple uh, distilleries in town to take their spent grain and actually use that as a main source of feed as well. Wow. So this has all kinds of interesting sustainability edges, because if you're able to take that waste, actually, well, think of it in two ways. It first was an investment in generating this plant material or whatever, animal material. And now instead of getting rid of it, you're actually investing it into feeding animals by rendering it through this intermediate of the insect larvae. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. But what's the problem with with uh, doing this? I mean, you, you mentioned amino acid profiles. Are the amino acid profiles of things like um, the wasp larvae or mealworms, are they complete to be able to use them for fish feed? Yeah, that's a very excellent point. Um, so my company, Biotrophics, actually, so, you know, other relating to life and other relating to nutrition, um, evolved originally first to tackle the problem of industrial production. I really wanted to do that because my background is in hydroponics, actually, and I was used to that, um, you know, farming side of things. But I realized quickly, you know, I'm not an engineer. My strengths lie more in the science and the R&D. And I realized, um, similar to your post earlier, that people are focusing a lot on the industrial side of things and not on the actual insect. So to go to your question, yes, they have a really strong amino acid profile, but they are limited 
in the ability to replace fish meal completely. A lot of papers have shown that there are beneficial effects or neutral effects when you replace fish meal with insect larvae to about 50%. And after that, you kind of get that Gaussian curve drop off where it, you know, starts, you start losing growth rate, you start, uh, you know, fillet weight isn't as much, et cetera. You just start seeing these um, detrimental effects. So I looked into why that was, and it turns out it's because there's some deficiencies in the amino acid profile compared to fish meal and even some micronutrient deficiencies like calcium. So biotrophics evolved now to tackle that problem. Like how do we, we, st we believe insects are the solution, absolutely. But how do we ensure that they remain the, the solution? And how do we ensure that they become the answer? How do other companies that use insects uh, for this type of application, or, or do other companies do it? And if they do, does it mean you have to have a lot of supplementation along with your insect meal? Uh, well, so the in industry is really new. Very, very few companies exist in the first place. And secondly, the ones that do are only a component of the aquafeed. So they end up being, you know, 10% of the protein, essentially. Well, well we're going to take a break here. But when we come back on the other side, we'll talk about how you are solving the problem of this incomplete amino acid issue. And we'll be right back with the Talking Biotech podcast. We're talking to Sam Glickstein, and he's the founder of Biotrophics in Baltimore, Maryland, coming up with new ways to sustainably feed aquaculture. This is the Talking Biotech podcast. We'll be back in just a minute. down I-70 between Kansas City and Denver for a long time. I could use a frosty beverage, and then you can drive. Let's pull off at the next exit. Wait, that's Grove 50. Isn't that the same road as Main Street in Hoxie, Kansas? Sure is. And you know what Hoxie, Kansas means? A&C Liquid, Liquid Assets. Assets. A&C Liquid Assets. Western Kansas Happy Oasis, the buckle smack dab in the middle of the Corn Belt, where you can stop and get a belt of your favorite adult beverages. Oh, I love that place. I could really go for a crafty beer, or maybe we could buy some stuff to make some cocktails. Later, that is, when we safely get to Denver. That's right, and you won't find any of those Smirnoff products there. Why not? Doesn't Smirnoff make popular priced spirits and libations? Well, they do. But they also recently ran that pandering, condescending ad with Ted Danza and that other person. You know, the one where they proudly announced that Smirnoff products are GMO-free. Yes, uh, that made me puke and laugh at the same time. But why would ANC Liquid Assets not carry Smirnoff because of that silly commercial? It's because they support farmers, and farmers make the grains that go into fermented adult beverages. 
and they support a farmer's right to implement the most useful seeds and production strategies they can find to sustainably grow their crop. That might include GMO seeds that Smirnoff doesn't support. It's a way of voting with dollars. Wow, that's a no-brainer. No Smirnoff for me either. Why would anyone in science or farming use a Smirnoff product since they actively campaign against farming with the guy from Three Men and a Baby? Caught me. <laughs> I think he looks like Anderson Cooper's dad. But that's the place where I want to burn my hard-earned beverage dollars, A&C Liquid Assets. A&C Liquid Assets? Conveniently located, almost sort of exactly between Denver, Kansas City, Colorado Springs, and Wichita, at 1043rd Street in beautiful Hoxie, Kansas. Check them out on Facebook at ANC Liquid Assets. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're talking about sustainable fish food and ways that that can come from insects. And we're talking to Sam Glickstein, who's the founder of Biotrophics in Baltimore, Maryland. But Sam, how did you get started in this whole uh, business? You mentioned aquaponics and other stuff that you've done, or hydroponics. Um, how did you really realize that there was a need to be met here? And what, what's your background like? Sure. So I went to Goucher College in Towson, Maryland, and graduated with a biology degree. And in during that time, I actually really fell in love with hydroponic farming because it married a lot of my interests, I guess, you know. Uh, science, business, you know, this new new market, you know, is really, really interesting stuff. And I uh, did that for a while and, you know, moved to Texas to be part of a small company there that was doing hydroponics and then moved back to Maryland in uh, 2016. And when I moved when I moved back, I was actually I got really interested in aquaculture. I, I got out of hydroponics just because it didn't answer for me the question of growing calorically significant amounts of food in a uh, intensive space, right? I wanted to grow something that could actually feed cities significantly as opposed to greens and lettuce that um, a lot of the industry grows. So I got into aquaculture. I had no experience in it. It costs a lot of money to start something up. So I pretty much dropped that pretty quickly. I was still very interested in it. So I did a business plan out of practice and quickly saw that feed costs were just astronomical. And I asked myself why that was. And very brief amount of research led me to the fish meal problem, which we discussed. And I immediately started to look at alternatives. You know, what, what could we replace fish meal with? And insects came to my mind, uh, or rather, you know, I stumbled upon the, the possibility and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So, you know, I really wanted to grow a small amount to feed to some fish that I was going to grow on the side. And I quickly realized, you know, man, this could be a business on its own. And that was 2016. And the amount of attention that insects have gotten in the past two years has just blown me away since then. I mean, it's crazy. Well, it's an emerging idea that if we can get past the yuck factor – which I think we can. I think I could. I mean, I've eaten oh, yeah. insects in uh, in China before, and it was no big deal. They, I mean, it's just kind of gross. They don't taste good. But I think the idea <laughs> of being able to use them as ways to synthesize, you know, like flour, cricket flour, you know, that seems per perfectly normal, you know, no, no big deal. 
But let's talk, go back to the fish problem. So you mentioned before that they didn't have complete amino acid profiles. So what is your solution to that particular problem? Yeah, so Biotrophics, again, originally wanted to do industrial production, uh, but I quickly pivoted um, to this idea because I, I just thought that it, people were focusing a lot on the production side and not really tackling wholeheartedly the problem of truly making insects the replacement as opposed to another component of the feeds, right? So rather than having it be, oh, this feed is 10% insects, 10% fish meal, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to come up with a solution that would be 100, you know, this is all the protein in here is, is insect based. So we have a, a at Biotrophics, I partnered with um, a couple guys who, you know, we came up with this proprietary method by which we can actually increase the amount of protein in each insect through certain triggers and almost have, we haven't fully tested this yet, but almost have a customizable amino acid profile generator. So we would likely have a specific strain of insect to fit the profile for different types of fish, you know, have a specific insect that is best for laying hens, have a strain that's good for broilers, and have a strain that's good for swine. I mean, you name it, right? We, we could potentially have strains for a lot of different animals that could actually answer a lot of different uh, questions to the problems that, that um, the industry is facing. So uh, we are on the cusp of getting a little bit of funding to start validating all this on a cellular level. And once we do that, we'll be moving on to the actual insect itself. Yeah, you could make custom mixes for triathletes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, old yeah. people, yeah, oh, good times. I guess the other <laughs> question then is, but how 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 are you actually doing this? I mean, how do you make a customized insect that has a specific amino acid profile? Well, that kids? would be the proprietary side of it. Uh, but I can tell you what I can tell you is that it is going to be genetically modified. Uh, in order to do that. So we're looking at a way to pretty much have the this this body in the cell uh, transfer from generation to generation with, with a certain trigger that we would be aware of so that, you know, let's just say somebody steals something, you know, we can we can essentially control the ability of that person to not grow it because we would know the triggers. Uh, and so the insect would then uh, exhibit all these extra properties under our, our certain grow conditions. Now, I, I think that that's something that this audience would understand because we've talked about the Oxytech mosquitoes and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. other, other organisms, other insects that maintain these, um, as you say, triggers, but they maintain mechanisms that limit their growth outside of the conditions where they're intended. And, and so that's not anything that uh, folks here are a little bit familiar with that. But that's sure. really that, that's really the the main you know without getting into proprietary stuff, you're able to generate um, a genetically engineered insect that uh, that generates the correct um, palette of nutrition for specific animal types, and I think it's a brilliant idea. The big question I have is how do you um, 
how do you think that that's going over with the public? Do you think that something like uh, your idea is something that the sustainability side will really outweigh the, uh, well, you know, GMO feed issue? Right. Well, you know, I think so much of animal feed is already GMO, you know, and to, to, to say that we couldn't do this because the insects are GMO is kind of silly. Uh, I mean, I think, well, as you know full well, that if it weren't for GMOs, the world would already pretty much be hungry. So it, it's not a question, I think, of whether the public is going to be scared of it. I think it's just a question of time for the acceptance to kind of come full circle where people realize that this is, I think what, what you put it, you, you nailed it on the head. Like is, the sustainability factor is going to have to outweigh the quote fear, I guess, before, but, you know, or rather in order to stop the, um, the public from, from, I guess, halting this process. Right. I mean, at what point is, is, has it gone too far? in terms of, of fear, you know, I mean, if, if the public got its way, I don't really want to know where we'd be right now. Yeah, I guess I think, I think that what I'm going for maybe it was the, that could this be kind of a breakthrough idea that when you are checking the boxes of sustainability and talking about something that's better for, you know, our fish, it's better for natural populations. It's something that's better for the animal feed, um, less better for farmers and agriculture because a lower cost feed source. This seems like such a brilliant idea. Oh, and recycling waste. It's got all the right halos all over it i guess the question i where i was thinking about this is that yuck factor that okay you can go ahead and um you know make my papaya resistant to viruses or my corn resistant to insects but here you're going right down the uh right down the uh avenue of all the stuff that every really great horror movie was made from you're tinkering with the genetics of insects which you know that's like the fly right and what there was, must have been a dozen movies about this isn't there like uh i don't know what other ones were there um oh yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean i joke about that all the time like you know in the office here i collect coffee grounds and you know to give to the mealworms in, in a mix and my little sign has you know help us turn this mealworm and i put a picture down below of help us turn this mealworm into the dune worm, you know, like coming out of the sand, like huge thing. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's funny when you think about it in those terms, but really I think you made you make a good point. It's, it, it hits all the check boxes. And I think, you know, when you go to chicken houses, for example, even if they're fed vegetarian feed, you know, those things are sometimes infested with actually mealworms, believe it or not, like the, the darkling beetle, and those chickens cannot eat enough of those beetles. They just, they love them, you know? And the other thing I really, the, the point I really want to hammer home actually is that a lot, a lot of these animals, fish, chickens especially, are natural insectivores. So to re-inject them into the, the feed chain would actually be a very natural solution to feeding them fish meal. When have you seen a chicken go out and eat a fish? Right. So <laughs> oh, since when is that? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. We might be surprised. 
<laughs> but since when is that natural and and feeding chickens insect meal not natural? No, you're exactly right. I know that when, uh, you know, I, I raise chickens, uh, we have uh, quite a few and we buy a lot of feed and, you know, the, the protein source and all of the feed has to be complete. Deficiencies, especially in chicks and developing chicks and developing ducklings show up very clearly. And, uh, we, but it takes a meal or two of the right stuff to snap them right back into place. Mm-hmm. So, it, but getting them out foraging is risky, especially at the early stage because of natural predators, hawks and things, stuff like that. So giving them uh, the opportunity to forage, which we do, um, is great, but they need supplemental feed. And, uh, when, and there's nothing better than when they find insects, like when you, um, you know, plant a tree or dig up some soil and flip it over, they go in there and scratch for hours. They just are going into the compost. I mean, the, the chickens go bananas. So right. this makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I really, um, really think it's really a cool idea. The whole thing makes perfect sense. So when would these kinds of products really start to show up in the market? Well, you can already see some folks, especially in Europe, starting to put out insect meal. And for for biotrophics meal, uh, well, so we're, we're hitting it one of two ways. We are going to attempt to license out our strains to producers. And if they if no one wants to license it, then, you know, even if they do, we might actually start growing them ourselves on the eastern shore of Maryland. There's a lot of abandoned poultry houses out there. And uh, some farmers out of work that really need some jobs. So uh, all, all, everything combined after we finish our due diligence and research and regulatory affairs, hopefully within within two to three years is when we'll start seeing some of these genetically engineered super super insects. That's interesting. Now, are there any other regulatory hurdles, though? I mean, you you're generating genetically engineered insects that are being used in food. Do you think that that has any particular regulatory hurdles that are unusual? Well, uh, if there's anybody listening to this podcast who's part of those regulatory agencies, I'd love to talk to you because having gone through the EPA's, uh, FDA's, and USDA's regulations. I have not really seen, and I could have missed it, but I've not really seen any regulation that deals with genetically engineered animals that are going to be fed to animals. So it might be a new area, and I am, I'm actually really hoping to help whoever is in charge draft this regulation and help kind of push this forward, because I think this is such a... a key answer to sustainability issues that we're going to be facing in the year you know 2050 2.2 extra uh, 2.2 billion extra people uh these are questions we need to answer now yeah i hate to i hate to make the pun but it seems to me that you've opened up a can of worms (laughs) i would say so yes because it really is a funny edge the benefits clearly outweigh the risks the benefits are huge in terms of sustainability and this is something that should have been done a long time ago and it's really cool that you're doing it. So if somebody wants to learn more about your company or about what you're doing, is, do you have a place on the web where they could read more? Sure. I have a fledgling Instagram, which is just biotrophics. I just have a couple pictures up there. Uh, I hope to make it a little more active. But my website is is just uh, www.biotrophics.com. And you can read a little bit of information there. 
And uh, as time goes on, you know, we'll we'll add more and more things. I'm I'm in an accelerator program right now, and uh, hope to get things moving a little bit more with that program. It's I'm going to give a shout out to F3 Tech, which is a program in Easton, Maryland. They focus on farm fish food. That's where the three F's come from, and they're really trying to merge urban and rural ideas uh, to tackle these. Uh, problems in agriculture and aquaculture and envirotech. Been a great experience so far, and I really look forward to the next couple months uh, that remain in the program. Wow, that's really great. Well, I'm really excited we had the opportunity to talk about this, and it's something that this audience will certainly appreciate. Thank you very much. Sam Glickstein, who's the founder of Biotrophics in Baltimore, Maryland, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. And as always, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Um, I hate to say it again, but write a review. (laughs) Um, You know, it really does help us keep more people listening to the podcast and sharing our science. There's a lot more content than there was three years ago when we started. And a lot of people have other choices. You reminding them of the good things that we talk about here, especially with an eye towards sustainability, uh, really makes this um, message penetrate further. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.